Welcome to Economic Development Secrets, where economic developers from across the country spill their secrets to our host, Nicole D'Souza. You'll hear firsthand accounts from economic developers in the trenches, from what works to what doesn't work, how deals come together or how deals go bad. You'll hear everyone's economic development secrets. Welcome to Economic Development Secrets. This month we are doing a two-episode special where we talk about our Economic Development Best Practices Summits that we did in Texas this last spring. This is episode number two, and so we are going to pick up right where episode one left off. The next thing uh, we discussed with the panelists was evaluating projects. And as I'm sure every economic developer knows, there are so many different ways to evaluate a project, different research outlets, different things to put, include in board packets, um, you know, different, I mean, data sheets, as you and I have seen, Paul, that people collect mm -hmm. from prospects. It just, it varies so much. And I think we got a big, a good snapshot of that um, among all of these different 11 uh, best practices summits that everyone it's just so different yeah and I, I think this was one where you know we or at least I had kind of the the most experience with I guess or at least in interacting with our clients as we as we help economic development organizations or economic developers evaluate projects that's kind of uh, you know where we're meeting our clients as they're trying to understand in our case we're helping them evaluate the impact of a new project whether it's the economic impact or these you know fiscal or tax effects um, but but to understand kind of apart from maybe that type of report or, or you know that that's being run on the the project what other things are they doing and and so it was interesting hearing um, you know, from, uh, you know, some of the, some of the strategies there. So, um, I think early on we heard, uh, you know, early on in the process of, of working with prospects was this idea of that you really needed to kind of, you know, put your effort into, to real or, uh, you know, actual projects that are going to come, come through. So it was this kind of idea of you really need to screen your inquiries to, to kind of really question how serious is this prospect? I guess people don't want to turn folks away, but at the same time, uh, I think a lot they, you know, a lot of these ED organizations will get hit up, you know, pretty consistently and they might just be, you know, the prospect might just be fishing, trying to get you to, you know, offer up a big incentive. So um, I think we heard, you know, the idea of asking some pointed questions at the beginning, just to get that sense of, are you just looking for a big incentive or have you actually evaluated sites in our community? And, and are you actually serious about our community? Um, one of the, the specific tips there for that of screening these uh, was to kind of offer up the the face-to-face -face meeting. And, and obviously if, if, uh, if someone's, really interested, you know, they're going to, they're going to meet you and, and meet face to face. Right. In fact, um, Arlene Lloyd from Gainesville was one of our panels up in Sherman. And she had even mentioned how nine times out of 10, you know, she'll talk to different site selectors or just different business people who are interested in, you know, potentially seeking incentives. But as soon as she sends them the data sheet to collect information, nine times out of 10, she doesn't get it back. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I guess so kind of moving through that process of like, once you actually have someone a little bit more serious, um, we asked kind of, you know, what are you doing to, to check that company out? And, um, you know, are you running background checks or what, what kinds of things? And a, a lot of people uh, mentioned the kind of the Dun and Bradstreet kind of research, the background on looking up that company on Dun and Bradstreet and seeing what 
kind of uh, historical information or kind of news about that company is. Or um, the other one that was mentioned was the Hoover's data service. Um, and then in addition to kind of the Dun and Bradstreet or Hoover's, um, I think people just talked about, you know, Googling and, and uh, you know, just trying in any different way that you can to, to dig up a little bit of dirt on, um, on that business um, and see if, you know, what's going on. Um, I, you know, I was surprised, you know, I guess maybe it, it sometimes varies depending on how big the incentive or the project might be, but um, it sounded like more often than not, uh, our, our panelists indicated that they didn't do, you know, background checks on the specific principals or the owners of the businesses. Um, and it sounded to me maybe like they were, because they, a lot of, a, a lot of the, uh, communities were making this distinction between whether it was a public company or private company. And so uh, I think it was uh, Ian uh, in Corpus Christi mentioned, you know, with a, uh, with a private company, that's when you need to do a background check. But if it's a public company, you can kind of skip that part. And that, you know, that company is a little bit more vetted and it's a little bit more out in the, out in the open than, than say a private company. And so they, there was some distinction made there between these private versus a public company. Um, and certainly the availability of data would be much greater for, for a public company versus that, that private uh, business. Right, definitely. And going along with that, um, some a lot of the panelists said various things about um, what information they would look at at these companies while building um, an incentive package or just viewing them as a prospect. Um, some of the things mentioned that I have in my notes, I know, are looking at the company's capacity, the equity, their banking relationships. Um, someone even mentioned looking at whether they've requested incentives before and if they've gotten them, have they agreed? Have they fulfilled all of the performance requirements? Were there clawbacks? You know, if they were in an mm -hmm. agreement like that before. Yeah, it seems like a simple one, but I guess you know, even kind of looking in house at your own uh, organization. I mean, it might it, if there was recent turnover or something. You know, you you might have to check back to see. You know, have we interacted with this company before? Um, but to the extent you can find in other communities, you know. Um, have they have they uh, you know received incentives before and how have have those turned out? Um, the uh, the one thing kind of talking about this idea of of due diligence on on these businesses, um, I was surprised at the number of of organizations that we heard from that uh, kind of took a a little bit of a hands off approach and you know just said well if uh, if the company or business owner can get a bank loan. Um, then that's enough vetting. And so they would use that as kind of the hurdle to say, well, oh, well, a bank is going to give them a loan for part, you know, say for the other part of this, uh, you know, uh, investment that they're going to make. And so since the bank underwriter kind of said, you know, they, they signed on off on them for the bank loan, um, they kind of uh, assumed that maybe they were, you know, worthy enough to receive your incentive. And uh, to me, that just, while, you know, the bank may have, more specialized and, and um, more experienced in kind of looking at things. They are looking at it from their, from, from their perspective, and that may not be the same perspective that an economic developer would necessarily want to take. So um, to me, it seemed a little scary uh, in that sense. Um, right. And then uh, we, we did ask about this idea of, of whether or not economic developers were asking for financial documents or reviewing and, or you know, asking for and reviewing financial documents. Um, in 
in a lot of cases, so if they said that, I, I don't even know what the percentages here are, but maybe it was 50%, if you remember differently, but maybe 50% of them said, yeah, we do look at financial or we, we do request financial documents. Um, and it, of the ones that actually did, most of those in nearly all cases said that they would kind of uh, farm that out. So they actually wouldn't see those financial documents because they were concerned about this open records and so forth. But um, they would they would basically have those passed along. Uh, the, the business would send them maybe directly to a consultant or to a CPA to review. And then the CPA or, or consultant would send back a, uh, a letter or some sort of financial ratios analysis to show you know, where the, the company stood with regard to maybe some industry standards for, for some of those financial things. Um, but, but like I said, um, in, in most cases, the, the actual economic developers weren't looking at those. But I think we had a couple that um, kind of differed there, right? I think uh, Justin uh, Jaworski and Abilene, right? Right, absolutely. I was very surprised by that too. And also seeing how the vast majority too of the people uh, the panelists were mentioning how they were concerned about open records requests, but then, you know, those that weren't absolutely were not concerned about it at all, you know, whatsoever. Um, and so I would say maybe like 10%, you know, maybe 15 just weren't concerned about that. And, um, just figured that, you know, if the company is going to be receiving public money and an incentive, then, they should be able to have their financials out in the open. The community should be able to see where their money is going to. Yeah, and I think we've heard, or you know, over the years at least, I've heard kind of some of the the sentiment that, um, you know, you you don't want to ask for too much or push too much. But I mean, I, I think in general, you know, if if these businesses or the prospects are go are about to receive incentives and that they're going to receive, you know. It, most likely a pretty significant benefit, let's say, um, from from the uh, economic development organization. I mean, I think, it, I think it's fair that some of this information gets shared. Um, I mean, obviously, you don't want to hurt, you know, the economic developer doesn't want to hurt the, the business by putting something out there that um, is, you know, confidential or private or something like that. Uh, but at the same time, you know, the, the economic developer needs to know who they're dealing with and, and you know, all the, the details that they can. So yeah, one of the last things that I thought was uh, an interesting angle um, in, in evaluating a, a project or really maybe evaluating vetting that business was this idea of looking into the other locations or, or you know, the, the communities that this company has other facilities in and maybe getting in touch with the chamber in that other town um, and, and finding out, you know, what do they think of that company and, and the, you know, the business there and are they a good corporate citizen and all of those sorts of things. Um, to me, I think maybe that's a little, uh, it sounded, you know, on the one hand, it sounded like a really good idea, but on the other hand, I can see, um, you know, they, if, if they're trying to make these plans about, um, expanding potentially uh and they're expanding in this say a new community and you're going back and asking the old community about how how you know are they a good corporate citizen and stuff that may be uh not the the type of uh you know uh, door knocking that the that the business would appreciate but um i do get the, the point there though that might be uh, good information for you to have as as an economic developer is to understand what kind of uh you know corporate citizen they are going to be in your community too 
Yeah, absolutely. Well, and then when the economic developer ultimately does build the incentive package and then present it also to their board, um, the comments about how they present these to their boards, was they also varied um, a lot. I know one thing that I was surprised about was a few of the panelists mentioned collecting letters of intent from the prospects to include in a packet for their board and council, you know, when they present the project. But I was surprised that definitely the majority of the panelists did not mention or didn't collect a, a cover letter. And so that might maybe be perhaps that they just don't want to um, clutter up the board packet or something. But um, I know those that do collect a cover letter, we're saying that it's a really good way to understand exactly what the company is looking for, um, you know, as they are vetting this com their community. Yeah, and in and in their words, the you know, in terms of the the business's words, own words, in that cover letter. Um, yeah, I think uh, we heard we we heard kind of a little bit of the the history of saying, well, we used to present a lot of information, and then we we you know, oh, we can only present a one page summary. If it's it's more than one page, our board won't look at, it, or our city council won't look at, it, or th those kinds of things of, you know, keeping things as as simple and and you know full detailed as possible but but not overwhelming them with uh pages and pages and you know like you know a, a binder a, a thick binder full of full of information on the project um one of the things i think they we heard over over and over again was kind of the the way that information flowed um between most of these organizations just to, to back up for a minute most of the the folks that that joined us on these panels were um either type A or type B corporations in Texas, economic development terms, that means there's some funding and they, they're, 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 there's funding through a, a local sales tax. And um, they're organized in such a way that they report to a board. And some sometimes there's a little bit of an extra layer where they're, um, that some incentives need to get be, need to be uh, signed off on by the city. But ultimately, so you have these EDCs in Texas that are working with their boards. And so what we heard, you know, as, as as, as I was just emphasizing this idea that, you know, shorter and more concise, the simpler the, the, uh, the information, the better at, the, at those final stages when the, when the project is being presented and, and maybe an incentive is being uh, voted on. Um, the, the idea is that, you know, the economic developer has had con conversations with their board members over a period of time, keeping them in the loop on, uh, you know, the, this prospect that might be doing something and then giving them more detail about it and, and fleshing it out over time. So by the point, and, and this is what we heard was, you know, by the point that they're actually presenting this and trying to, you know, actually they've nailed down, an, you know, an incentive proposal or something, um, the board knows pretty much everything that's there. And, and the summary is really just used to kind of, uh, you know, pin down these, these facts and, and uh, summarize everything. Right. We definitely heard that communication with your board is key. In fact, uh, some of them, some of the panelists even provide quarterly updates of every single active project to their board, um, which I think is a great idea. It also serves as a refresher to, you know, the economic development team on staff, too, because and by every single project, they mean even those that, you know, have just kind of been at a standstill for a few months, maybe a year, because you never know. Sometimes these economic development projects take several years to actually work through. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I think, you know, just staying on top of all of that and keeping it, um, you know, in, in front of mind helps them 
you know, remind the board and, and others kind of all of the things that, that they're doing and that they're responsible for and that um, maybe even some of the past projects that they're responsible for as well. So I think that's um, probably a good way to, uh, you know, to try to keep all of that uh, front of mind for some of them. Yeah. You know, another thing that I thought was very interesting was that a lot of the panelists that we talked to, too, don't have incentive policies. A lot of the, and I think too, we've asked the audience, a lot of people in the audience as well don't have incentive policies. And then we were hearing things back and forth. Some were saying, obviously every project is different, every project's unique, but then at the end of the day, some of the panels were saying you have to have you know, somewhere to start, something to start with, some sort of policy to base, you know, the majority of your projects off of so that when a company looks up your community, they don't have to be surprised when you say, oh, we're giving you, you know, this, and they're expecting more, that they see this is the policy, and unless it's an extremely unique situation, you know, we're sorry, this is what you see is what you get. <laughs> yeah, and I think the, the one... Um... I believe it was in Houston. I think it was uh, Fred Welch and Conroe again had uh, had discussed this idea of a you know instead of having a specific policy, having a general framework, and you know that again because of all of these projects are are unique and, and so what that they they can't really have kind of a strict policy that they need this more general framework that um, can be applied to the specific project. So um, you know when when we asked about um, and I think that kind of ties back to this idea of just that, you know, flexibility um, is really, really, you know, key in in these incentive uh, decisions. And so we asked about, you know, what kind of payback period do you look for with the project? And, um, you know, we heard different things, but I think generally across the board, it was somewhere between a three and a five year payback period was was kind of the where they thought about this as the ideal, meaning, you know, over a three to five year period of time, um, that's the amount of, you know, the incentive would be paid back by, you know, in, in terms of new tax revenue to the city or to whatever the organization. So um, if the if the community will receive that amount of, of revenue over three to five years, um, that would be kind of the upper limit of that incentive. But then we did hear, um, depending on the, the project, um, if it was, you know, such a, a you know, a a, a real uh, community changing project, um, you know, they, they definitely would go outside of that, you know, maybe shorter window and, and extend it out um, so that the payback period was a little bit longer. I think across the board though, everyone, I didn't, I don't know that we heard too many people say that they offered money up front. And a lot of it was this as the way they phrased it was pay for performance. So basically after uh, the business has done what they said they're going to do, then they'll receive the benefit. And I think there was a preference, you know, away from cash, obviously, and toward things that, uh, you know, if the business were to leave that they can't necessarily take with them. So they might be interested in paying for um, some infrastructure. They might be able to, you know, even help them in, in getting some land and that sort of thing. But again, those are, those will be assets, you know, that, that kind of remain in the, in the community, um, that aren't necessarily going to be, you know, if, if that one particular business does fail, it's not going to be something that um, goes away with them. Yeah, I think this idea of performance agreements and moving away from, you know, clawbacks where you have to, it can get difficult to 
um, go and ask the company for the money back if you offer it up front. Um, I think that was the only thing that was universal, universal between among all of the summits, all of the panelists. And in fact, some of the panelists were even saying that now site selectors are telling these communities, telling economic developers that performance requirements and clawbacks aren't the norm anymore, you know, <laughs> and they're trying to get just the money up front completely, you know, for their client. Um, when in fact, we, what we were told from these economic developers, just stand your ground because obviously everyone is doing performance re requirements, performance agreements, um, or at the very least, you know, doing clawbacks that are, you know, getting this money back. Everything has to be performance based. Yeah, I thought that was funny. It was like the, the they were saying <laughs> the the incentive consultants are trying to encourage you to be, you know, uh, more you know, more modern, more with it, because, you know, oh, that's that's not the way uh, that things are done anymore. But, uh, you know, I think, as we heard, it's, it's definitely still the way that things are being done uh, more and more. Um, one of the other things kind of related to this was the idea of, um, you know, as we talked about payback periods and so forth, um, this idea of kind of leaving some meat on the bone. And, and that's the idea that um, you would have an, an, you know, an incentive agreement uh, that, that maybe goes, let's say that the, you know, the payback period is five years, but you would have an incentive agreement that commits them to kind of hitting all of these uh, uh, targets uh, through year seven. So the, the, you know, you're paid back or the incentive is finished being paid out through in year five, but they still have to stick around in years, you know, six and seven, let's say. Um, and that's the idea that they're just going to receive some sort of, that the city is going to continue to receive some, basically this full benefit um, beyond those, beyond that time period so that you're not just kind of getting them for the, for that, you know, payback period. And then maybe they, they up and leave and, and go somewhere else or something else happens. Um, I think it was in our Tyler session and I can't remember exactly uh, which one of our panelists discussed this, but the idea of a uh, maybe implementing a 10 year abatement. So, so having a property tax abatement run for a period of 10 years, but that the performance agreement uh, you know, ran for 15. And so with that, you know, and I don't know exactly what the percentage of the abatement would be over that 10 year period, but the idea would be that at least for those last five years from, from year 11 through 15, the, uh, uh, the city would be benefiting or the county uh, would be benefiting at the full value of the, the property tax uh, collection there. Um, so that, uh, that idea of um, kind of making sure or ensuring that um, the business commits well beyond just the incentive uh, period um, is what uh, was something that we heard in a, in a couple places. I really liked that one. I think that's very smart, a very intelligent tactic. Yeah, and the, the other kind of thinking about abatement still, we had, um, you know, this, uh, it, it was said here and it, it comes up every, when, when you start talking about abatements and how to think about those and how to handle kind of the, the mental math that goes into an abatement of, you know, well, you know, you're only going to get a certain percentage of these taxes on this new building. And it's like, well, you're, you know, there is a value there of, of, you know, that the company would have had to pay X. Now they have to pay Y, which is a little bit less than, than the full amount. Um, but, uh, you know, it was, it was, it was mentioned in, you know, that, sometimes people seem content with 100% of nothing instead of 60% of something. So that idea that, <laughs> you know, uh, well, just leave it a farm field. I don't, 
I don't care. I don't want to get any new taxes on if they're going to build a new building, change it to commercial property and, and, you know, all of this. And it's like, well, you could get, you know, the benefit of, you know, 60% of these new taxes, uh, but, but they want, you know, they, they just say, no, we don't want to do an abatement there. And it's, you know, to me, uh, the point is taken and I, and I kind of have that same opinion that, you know, it is better to get that 60% of something than, than just sticking with your hundred percent of nothing. So I thought that was, thought that was an interesting way to, to frame it, but um, it's definitely some of the opposition there that you hear from time to time with, with abatement. Yeah, absolutely. Um, another really unique thing too, was that Chris Collins in Waco was talking about having a residency requirement um, when working on these projects, which I think even the other panelists at that uh, session were surprised by as well. Everyone, um, it's not that common. Yeah, I don't think, it, I, I haven't really heard of it before, but it's this idea that um, for a for a as part of kind of the incentive agreement um, that the uh, that the new business, if they're going to whatever it is, hire a hundred new people, um, that forty percent of those uh, workers would actually reside in the city of Waco. So in that case, it's for Waco, and that um, that and when you look at uh, the countywide benefit that you that their employment. Uh, that they can't be just hiring people from outside of the area that are going to commute in. And so that at the county level, it, they needed to hire 80% of their workforce from, from the county. Um, and so I think that's, that goes to, I think we'll, with, with Chris's organizations, the, the Waco, the greater Waco chamber. And so they were kind of working on behalf of, of, you know, the city of Waco and McLennan County, as well as some of the other communities there in the county. Um, and so it goes, goes to that idea that, um, you know, they really want the, uh, the businesses to have, uh, you know, to benefit the local workers rather than um, if you're going to be creating all of these jobs for people that are going to be just commuting into the, you know, to, to fill those positions. And so I thought that was, a, a, as you said, kind of a, a really unique one that we haven't heard in a lot of places. Um, more common, I think, we, we as we heard it at a lot of these, were um, having some sort of uh, minimum uh, wage level that would, in order to receive incentives. And it was this idea that, you know, you had to pay at least the county uh, average wage, or maybe you had to pay a certain amount above the county average wage to be eligible for a certain incentive, perhaps. Um, we also heard, um, kind of thinking, going going away from that, kind of in the opposite way of, of thinking about having jobs that are paying a, a certain high wage, we, we heard, you know, the other idea of, you know, sometimes you, you need uh, projects that are going to, you know, just prov provide good jobs and, and good wages. And so, uh, the idea of having a minimum, you know, wage on every incentive isn't, isn't necessarily appropriate. And so I think in that case, it was, um, and I don't remember the, the dollar amounts, but it might have been that it was like a call center that was going to be, you know, paying $12, $13 an hour. And you wouldn't normally incentivize that except for the fact that um, the community had just lost a large uh, call center. And, you know, they really wanted to kind of number one, get that building back into use. And number two, um, get some, you know, get back uh, positive on some of those jobs that um, that were lost when when that other call center left. Um, and, and so you, you usually think about, you know, you want to have, you know, a corporate headquarters and everybody's making one hundred and fifty thousand dollars. But, um, you know, there are instances and, and, uh, and situations where, you know, you, you, not everybody can be the CEO of a business and, and everybody kind of needs a job. So uh, it, it was interesting to kind of hear that other side of it too, in some instances of, of even offering incentives at those levels. 
Yeah, I can't remember who shared that, but I remember thinking that was a very neat project. And it was a good example of, you know, having that flexibility too, which I think that was one of the big takeaways that I took from the whole working through a project and economic development in general, um, flexibility truly is, you know, key. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, you know, I think it was interesting. We got into each, each one of our sessions kind of had a different, uh, you know, they went in different directions a lot of times. So it was, it was interesting to see how that all came about. And a lot of it was driven by, um, again, the, the audience and kind of asking questions and trying to dig in on certain things. And um, we heard, you know, across all of them, we, we got into this discussion of, of CRM. So, uh, you know, the, the CRM systems that uh, economic developers use. And again, this was something as I, as I thought about the industry and thought about kind of the day-to-day the -day operations of some of our clients that, you know, every ED organization was using a CRM and maybe that there was a little bit more, um, you know, consolidation around a, a couple well-known uh, CRM systems. And actually, as, as we heard, you know, there were a fair number of folks that, you know, said they currently didn't really use a CRM and that they just kind of handled everything through, you know, Outlook and, you know, their email client and so forth. Um, we, we did hear that a number of times saying, you know, in some instances it was, well, we tried, uh, whatever the CRM was and it just didn't work or like, you know, we didn't get the workflow right or we didn't, you know, it just didn't work for us in that sense. And um, a lot of the CRMs are, are more set up for, you know, straight sales and not really economic development. So I can kind of see how that happens. Um, but then, you know, one of the, we did get into, as I, as I mentioned, uh, in, in Leveland, uh, we did get into kind of a little bit longer discussion on CRMs. Uh, where where we talked about a couple different ones and um i think it was john clary and leveland was a was a proponent of of act uh, crm it's just act exclamation point um and that one from what i looked up at least it looks like it's more of a general purpose crm it's not necessarily specific to economic development although i'm sure you know it gets customized and kind of as it gets used it can be more specific to um, economic development uh, a lot of people even at that uh there, there were a few, at least, users of Salesforce at Leveland, and we've heard that one at some of our sessions as well. Um, and, and kind of the, the other kind of big one that we heard, at least with this idea of uh, BRE and kind of keeping up with that whole, you know, interview process and, and data flow for, for BRE was the, uh, the synchronist uh, system. Uh, I think that's uh, the Blaine Canada uh, product there. And uh, a lot of people in, in our sessions talked about synchronist. Uh, but then I thought it was interesting when we got to, to level in, we kind of heard the other side of that, right? Yeah, we did. And actually another one too that we've heard of, um, it didn't come up so much in the panel discussions, but I know we'd heard of from some of our clients too using is executive pools, um, especially mm -hmm. for the BRE. But you're right, in level end, people were... I mean, it was a great discussion, great, great discussion. But, you know, everyone was really talking about how none of these CRMs truly fit to exactly what they need. And all of them mentioned having to have a component of really building it for themselves and building in different questions so that it's exactly what they need. Yeah, yeah, I think that's, and that was like, even as we had heard some of the folks that, you know, were like completely sold on, XYZ CRM or whatever it was, right? Um, it sounded to be, sounded to me like it was just something that they had used over 
you know, a period of years and they just got comfortable with it and they were able to use it the way they wanted and, and kind of, you know, got used to it and needed it to be there that way. And they kind of relied on it. Um, and, and I think maybe for, for those that weren't using a CRM, maybe they kind of never got to that point. And, and I think like we, like I said, in, in leveling with synchronist, as folks talked about that one, um, it sounded like a lot of individuals in the, in the room had, uh, experience with it, that they used it in the past, but, uh, that they thought it was just, uh, too detailed and not worth, you know, not how they wanted to conduct these, uh, BRE interviews and not the way that they wanted to be able to collect the data and so forth. Um, which it was interesting because that was the exact opposite is what we, from what we heard in the others, that, yeah. uh, a lot of them were saying synchronous is the best and it's because it was so detailed and it really helped them work through the interview in a certain, you know, method. And, and I don't know everything about synchronous. I looked up a little bit about it online, but, um, it was interesting that, you know, what was kind of a, you know, a, a positive, um, for, for a number of the folks that we heard from in the, the users of synchronous, um, in Leveland, uh, and I keep saying Leveland, I don't necessarily mean, uh, I'm, I'm saying our session in Leveland, it was the attendees there that were out in that, that, that area. Um, it, you know, from the different panelists and from some of the, the other attendees, they thought, uh, you know, synchronous just didn't, uh, just didn't do it for them or that, that it wasn't, uh, you know, really that helpful to them. So it was, it was interesting kind of hearing some of that, but, but kind of getting, um, you know, that, that insight into, uh, Again, from my understanding, as I go to IEDC and I see the exhibit hall and I see a number of different uh, CRM uh, folks and I see different marketing groups and I just, you know, in, in some ways think that, oh, well, every ED organization it must be doing those things. Um, and it, it's definitely, uh, as we heard, not always true. <laughs> so yeah. um, I, I think we've gotten some really good feedback from all these sessions, you know, on individual sessions kind of saying, you know, um, how it was, was really useful to hear kind of what's happening there in the regions. And, you know, as, as this started going on, I think it was only like the second or third uh, session because you and I obviously attended each one of these. Uh, I started to, to think about, well, wow, there's a lot of good information that's, that's kind of uh, getting thrown around out here and that, uh, you know, if they think just one of these sessions is, is good, I mean, just think it, for, for Nicole and I, we've got, we're, we're hitting all 11 of these. And, and so we just thought uh, it'd be good to kind of share the, the, the best of the best here of some of the things that we heard uh, as we went around. Right. We also have a roundup blog post, too, that goes into some more detail that we couldn't share um, on this podcast, too. Um, and it's also it's just called Roundup and it's also on our our blog. And so it shares some more information if you're interested in that. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And I think uh, this was this was kind of a lot of uh, a lot of traveling for for that little time period that we had there about a little over a month where we jammed all of these sessions in, I think it was really good, but uh, hopefully we can, I don't know if we want to repeat this every year, but I think maybe, uh, maybe do a couple events like this just to kind of, uh, you know, kind of share some of the knowledge and, and uh, kind of connect up with some of the economic developers to kind of learn more of these uh, kind of ED operations details. I think it's, uh, it's been good for us and I think it's been good for, um, the, the economic developers that have uh, participated. So uh, we definitely love to kind of get out and do this again uh, in Texas or possibly in some, some other places. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and then I have a wrap up question for you, Paul, that uh, I will also answer. Um, and uh, the question is, what was the most surprising comment or um, economic development activity or really anything that was brought up during any of the sessions that you heard 
um, during, you know, these summits that you just thought was so interesting and you weren't expecting at all? Yeah, I thought, and I guess I, maybe I won't give, uh, I won't attribute this uh, quote uh, necessarily just to kind of <laughs> keep it, keep it private, but um, there was uh, one of our panelists uh, was, was giving his, uh, his work history, so to speak, of, of the different uh, communities where he's worked and where he's working now. And, um, you know, I, I used to be the economic development director at whatever town, uh, but I got fired for doing a good job. And I thought it was an interesting uh, <laughs> take on, on that. And, and we had it kind of connected to that. There was at, at another session, uh, someone remarked, you know, if you haven't been fired in this business, you're probably not doing your job. And so I, I thought those two things of this idea of, of economic developers uh, kind of being um, kind of uh, living living life on the edge, so to speak, with um, with with kind of how they're interpreted. Maybe if it's politics or just the different communities, kind of uh, how things come together, or or maybe you know deals uh, fall apart, so to speak. But I thought it was interesting that you know it was kind of just uh, uh, almost uh, par for the course, so to speak, of of maybe uh, having some turnover in these ED organizations. Yeah, that's uh, one of the things we see. We see our clients moving and emailing us saying, hey, you know, it's been great. We're moving to this new uh, new area. It's look look forward to, you know, a new email address from us. And it's always so funny how that happens. But And I guess it's not to say that everybody gets fired, but no, absolutely <laughs> there, not. Is, absolutely not. there is some, some moving around, I guess, in, yeah. uh, in the economic development world from time to time. Definitely. I know for me, the most surprising thing was um, as a Texas transplant, you know, it was really interesting for me getting to go to all these different areas of Texas and just seeing how different they are. And even just region to region, I mean, just so different and things that were important at, you know, some of the sessions obviously weren't as important at others or um, like talking to these huge metros about focusing on how they work through deals wasn't as important, you know, in rural areas where they don't really get as many deals to work through. And so that's where, you know, the CRM is more important to talk about. BRE is more important. So I know for me, that was just one of the neatest things, I think. Yeah, that's funny. Yeah, it was really, um, I, I think I, in one of our emails, I, I think I jokingly referred to this, uh, you know, these 11 sessions as our world tour of Texas. But I mean, I think that's, that's, kind of appropriate in the sense that there's just so much, uh, so much variety, so many, these different places, how unique they are, um, even just across Texas. It was, uh, it was, you know, definitely a, a fun process for me. And I, I think, uh, I think we, we both learned a lot. We did. Well, I look forward to doing this again in the future. And I hope that everyone enjoyed this really unique episode of the podcast. And if you ever have questions over anything we mentioned, you know, reach out to Paul and me. We're always available for your questions or opinions or anything that any feedback at all that you would like to give us. You know, we're always around. Feel free to reach out to us anytime. Economic Development Secrets is brought to you by Impact Dashboard, the only impact software built for economic developers. For more information on this podcast or to listen to past episodes, check out www.impactdatasource.com.